Welcome to the Wednesday Bible Study from the Broadcast Plaza and Teleport as we continue uh, with our pandemic format and our social distancing and self-quarantine and all those things that are going on right now. Uh, still an empty room, and uh, as, as I've said the last few weeks, I do miss having the men in the room, and I know that we're going to get to a day, Lord willing, uh, when that uh, will be restored and we'll all be back together. But how thankful are we for this technology that we can continue through our study of the Gospel of John, and, uh, and we are approaching the end of it. Uh, I do want to make one note for you coming up this uh, this Sunday night. If uh, if you are you know watching this or listening to this uh, on the same week uh, that we did this particular study, uh, then this uh, weekend on the twenty seventh of April, this Sunday night, we are going to make available for any of you that are watching this or listening to this. If you would like to join us for a man church service, Jason Cook, uh, preaching pastor for Fellowship Memphis. A fantastic man of God, a really, really gifted preacher, and he'll be bringing us, uh, you know, a challenging message. Uh, and uh, I'll be also giving you some updates on what's going on with our men's ministry. This is a, a, a men's only service for my home church of Shades Mountain Baptist Church, but we're going to make it available uh, through this great technology to anyone who wants to watch it. All you have to do is go to Shades S H A D E S Shades org and then slash live. Uh, and also, when uh, Jason Cook is finished with his message, by the way, we'll also have praise and worship music with uh, Michael Adler, you know, who is the dad of uh, Eddie Van Adler of the Rick and Bubba Show and a longtime friend, and also Riggs Taylor, who also is a member of our church. Uh, they'll be giving us some praise and worship. Uh, Jason Cook will have the message, and then I'll come on after that, and I'll tell you, show you four different Bible studies uh, that you can use this modern technology that you can plug into. So we'll have the high challenge from Jason Cook, and then we'll do the high equipping with our small group Bible studies that you can do virtually even when you're still in quarantine. Uh, and the two of those, one of them will be this, and we're going to start a new series. We're going to finish the Gospel of John next week. So 33 weeks of the Gospel of John, landing on that wonderful number 33 as well, uh, which also just incredible. Started this back in August, and then we'll... And then the week after that, we'll be jumping into the book, The Unsaved Christian by Dean and Sarah, reaching uh, cultural Christianity with the gospel. And I've really prayed about it. We, we certainly will get back into doing expository teaching from more books of the Bible, but I just really felt called to this project. I think it's an important topic. We've touched on it a little bit, but I think we need to dive in because I think there's a lot of people, and it may be you that are watching and listening to this, that we need to hear about cultural Christianity and what it looks like versus authentic Christianity. I just think it's important, so we're going to do that uh, as well. So Dean and Sarah is the author. The Unsaved Christian is the book, and you can get it wherever books are sold, and you can walk through that uh, and read it along with me, or you can just listen to me unpack it, uh, you know, for uh, probably, I think it's somewhere around 10, 11 weeks that we'll be doing that. Okay, and then we'll probably get back into another book of the Bible. So don't forget about the Man Church service coming up this Sunday. Uh, 6 p.m. Central Time, 7 o'clock Eastern, shades.org slash um, uh, live. And then we'll be offering you up some Bible studies, including you can join us for this one. And then, of course, the Pursuit Curriculum from themanchurch.com. Michael Helms will be leading that. And if you'd like to walk through that Pursuit Curriculum, uh, where I teach 12 to 15 minutes every week, and then you get a study guide that you can unpack every week with what we're talking about, 
you can sign up for that too, and Helms will be meeting with you via Zoom once a week to discuss each week's topic. So all that's available for you coming up this Sunday. So let's, let's, let's pray, and let's jump into uh, talking about the resurrection in chapter 20 of the Gospel of John. Lord, thank you for today. As we're going to hear uh, right out of the gate, the Apostle Paul talks about the resurrection. That is the game changer. It, it separates Christianity from all the other religions and all the other spiritual ideas out there. The resurrection is a game changer. Thank you, Lord, for defeating our eternal death. Uh, Lord, may we submit completely to your authority and help us to learn everything about this that we need to know today. Even if we think we already know this, today we're listening for something uh, that you're teaching us that we've never heard before or never understood before. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so if you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, let's go to John chapter 20. And Paul said this about the resurrection, okay? He said, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. That's Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 14 through 17. So Paul says the resurrection is it. If the resurrection didn't happen... We're doomed. We are still dead in our sins. And what we have been preaching is false, and our faith is futile. So it's a really big deal, uh, and John gives his account of it uh, in, in John chapter 20. Uh, so let's, let's, let's start right here with, uh, with verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, talking about to Sunday, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now, Paul's, uh, I mean, sorry, John uh, says, while it's still dark. That's how he describes it. Now, these are one of these things when you go through the, the, the four Gospels, you'll see that each one, as we've said many, many times, has its own job, uh, but also these are four different accounts, many times of the same events, and you find detail, details in some and different in others, but, but the same running theme. For instance, Luke says very early in the morning. John says, while it's still dark, uh, and then, of course, we also have uh, Matthew, who gets uh, a little bit more complicated, but still, he means the same thing. And then, in the Gospel of Mark, uh, he specifies very clearly, interviewing Peter, that it was dawn, you know, D-A-W-N, you know, I've got a southern accent, dawn. So, we know now what, what, what all of them are telling us one thing, Mary and these other women that, that, that John's not going to talk about, uh, but the other Gospels do, Mary Magdalene is approaching the tomb right as the sun is about to come up. Okay, we know that uh, because they all are giving us that same theme. And she's going to see uh, that the stone has been rolled away. Now, some of you may say, why is John picking out Mary Magdalene? Why, why is he doing that and the others really, really don't? And one of the reasons is, remember, this is the oldest, I'm sorry, this is the newest gospel. This was the last one that was written. The others, when they were documenting what happened, they knew one thing about the culture, and that was that a woman's testimony was not normally admissible in court. So if you remember, John just told us last week, one of the things he wanted us to know about the crucifixion is that he saw them take the sword and pierce it into Jesus' body, and then he went on to say, the reason why I'm letting you know this is I was there, and there's no way he survived this. So don't believe anybody that says he wasn't dead. 
Okay. So another thing, so they're all trying to prove what happened was right. Well, if you come in and say in this culture that a woman said this, this, and that, it wasn't even admissible in court. They had no standing. Uh, but now time has passed, and John wants Mary Magdalene to be honored, which, which I think is, is, is really cool. Uh, and um, God also, don't forget, John's going to take this initiative to honor her. And then think about, we're going to stay in Corinthians a lot today, undoubtedly, 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 29. I love when Paul says this. God delights to choose what the world deems foolish to shame uh, those he loves, uh, the wise, so that no one boasts before him. So what he's saying is, here's this culture, uh, and the reason why we're tying this into what John said, that demeaned women. Uh, It's one of the things that that I think is so most, most misunderstood about those that come against Christianity. Oh, Christianity says that you know women should submit to their their husbands and and da 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 and all these things. But what they miss is Christianity. The things that Paul said about husbands and wife and what John is doing here with Mary Magdalene, what what Jesus did. You know, uh, you know uh, the the early followers of Jesus. You see Luke in the book of Acts. You know what, what he's showing that there were women there at the beginning of the church age that played you know important roles and and they were they were early followers of Jesus is that really Christianity takes takes women and elevates them to their proper place as co heirs with Christ and you see the things that the the New Testament is telling men to do as far as as husbands and and serving their wives and the things that are anybody who says. That, that speaks harshly, and and uh, and Peter, when Peter in his letter says, anybody who's harsh with their wife, uh, that God doesn't hear their prayers. Their prayers are altered because you should treat them as the weaker vessel, meaning not that they're of less value, but that they break easier. Don't be harsh with your wife. So you see all these things about women that Christianity actually elevates women to a place that a lot of the other religions and the Old Testament and the Jewish culture did not. The things that these men were saying about women now uh, was was completely counter to the culture. So that's always a complete misread uh, how some people say that Christianity demeans women. I would say it's actually completely the opposite. And here's another example. Mary Magdalene, who had been forgiven much and was a woman, uh, she is going to be used by John to talk about as one of the first ones that discovers that something's going on with this tomb. Now, she sees that the, the stone had been rolled away, and you know we know that uh, the rolling away of the stone from uh, the other accounts is that uh, the women were concerned if they were going to go there and kind of finish what they thought was kind of a rushed uh, process of getting Jesus into the tomb. If they were going to pay more respect, do some more spices, do more stuff, they, they were talking about who's going to roll away the stone for us. Uh, so the stone had already been rolled away, uh, verse 2. So she ran... And went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So when, when you see this, the reason why she's saying this, and she runs to tell them, you have to understand that grave robbing was really pretty common. So, you know, I know how we can be critical of them not understanding what Jesus said and not understanding the resurrection in the beginning. But understand, for you to go to a grave, especially where somebody, as we talked about last week, it looks like the people who laid them there might have had some wealth or the family was wealthy or something like this. 
grave robbing was actually pretty common. So this would not be something that, uh, you know, uh, that you're saying, why is she saying she doesn't understand who took the body? Because that actually uh, happened in that culture. Uh, so now let's, uh, let's look at three, three through five. So Peter, John specifying that again, Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the uh, other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. All right, so Mary gets there. It's, it's before the sun comes up or right as the sun's coming up. She sees the stone, the stone is rolled away. Apparently, she did not go into the tomb. Uh, she's, she's, a, she's fearful that somebody has, has stolen the body. She runs to tell Peter and John. They hear what she has to say, and they start running toward the tomb. Now, we do know, uh, and we often have fun with this, that John arrives first. Uh, and I've heard many people talk about this, and it is correct, because here's Scripture telling this. Undoubtedly, John was faster than Peter. Uh, because they were running, and, and John says, referring to himself uh, in, you know, in third person, uh, I got there first. Uh, I'm faster than Peter. But if you look at the history of this, though that is absolutely accurate, it's likely that he's faster than Peter because he's younger. Uh, Peter is older. John is younger. I don't know how many of uh, the older guys watching this right now have ever raced any of your, our younger brothers it's not a race we want to get involved in. Uh, so, you know, you know, we have to tell them what the stories are hey, back in the day. But really, when uh, there, there's something you just can't seem to do much about, and that's age. They still have ligaments. They still got a little bounce. They still have the cushion. We're bone on bone now. But anyway, so Peter was not as fast as John. It may simply be, it may simply be because he was just older than, than John. He, and John, we know, bent over to look in, and he saw the linen clothing there, but I think this is interesting, also showing the younger guy. Uh, and we also know that John ran, you know, uh, when, when the, in the garden as well. John didn't go in. So he, he was apprehensive about going in. And you have to picture, he kind of he stooped down, and he's kind of looking in there. But, but he, he's certainly unsure about what's going on here. And then the great personality of Peter. Uh, here comes Peter in verse 6 and 7. Then Simon Peter came following him, meaning, so John had some distance out there. He got there first. He's looking. He, he, he's peering in there. He's cautious. He sees the clothes. He sees the linen. Uh, and then here comes Peter. He's now finally arrived on the scene and following him, went right into the tomb. <laughs> see, that's the stuff we love about Peter. You see two personalities playing out here, okay, which is the beauty of the kingdom of God. You know, we're, we're all one body, but we're individual people. And, and so John runs up there. He's got all the fervor. He's got all the youth. He's got all the speed. And he hears from Mary Magdalene, and he's going to get there, and he's flying up there. But when he gets there, he puts the brakes on. And he kind of eases in the tomb, and he's looking around. Peter, just picture him coming up. He, he's, he's, he's got some distance behind him, no apprehension whatsoever. Right in the tomb he goes. And uh, that is Peter's personality, and we've seen this throughout uh, uh, the Scriptures. So, so Peter reached the tomb, and then, of course, um, he goes right in. He saw the linen clothes lying there uh, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. So, so we start looking at this 
um, you know, about uh, the details that are here in the tomb. Um, when, 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 when Peter gets there, he's going in, and he's going to become em emboldened because when he goes in there and he sees what he sees, uh, we know that this is a, becoming a game changer because there's things in there that are starting to point that nobody came and robbed this body because we don't really think that criminals, first of all, we don't know how criminals are able to get Jesus' body out of the linen, which had, you know, it, it had the, the rosin on it, it had the spices, it's all connected to his skin, and then the, the cloth that they put over his head. So you, do, does anybody really believe that grave robbers came in, they didn't just grab G, the body with the linens on it with everything and run out and maybe the, the, the head covering just fall off as they ran out with the body? No, what, what you have to believe if you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead and you believe somebody came and got his body by these, you know, the, these, these are people that were there. These are eyewitnesses. And so you'd have to believe that, uh, that the robbers took the time to carefully get Jesus' body out of all the wrapping, somehow perfectly, okay, and then they're going to take his head covering and they're going to fold it up nice and neat for us so we can find that. Uh, that, that, is, that that's not likely, uh, and I, don't th I think you'd have a hard time selling that to anyone. If you want another look at this about Peter, look at Luke 24, verse 12. Write that down, Luke 24, verse 12. Because uh, Luke goes on to say that um, that 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 Peter, uh, when he, that that when that he went home and he marveled about what he saw, meaning this something about this he saw this he he doesn't he doesn't completely know what's going on, but he marveled. And then look at uh, at verse eight here. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. So I'm timid at first. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm kind of, I see that Peter went in, nothing bad happened to him. So now I'm going in, man, I love that. That that's once again, don't forget guys, those of us that are older, I, I'm getting the opportunity to do it now, obviously with my sons, but beyond that, even other younger men, they need us. Okay. Uh, that we need them because they they show us things that we've forgotten about, but they also need us. Think about this. This is really quite a beautiful picture of these two disciples, I'm young, I'm fast, I'm timid, I'm apprehensive, I'm older, I'm braver, I'm, 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 I'm bolder, I go on in the tomb, the tomb, nothing bad happened to me, come on in here, you can look to it. And that's exactly what's taking place here. Uh, so John uh, now has gotten a little bolder, and uh, he, he went in, and I love this, and, and he saw and he believed. He saw and he believed. Uh, so now you go to verse 9. So, so John says, this is all I needed to see. Peter, as we know on the verse I told you in Luke, he's still trying to process all of this. And look what it says. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Now this is important. John just states the obvious. He, he's reminding you the reason why we're, not, we're trying to work all this out at this point when, when this happened, not when he's writing it, but when it happened, at this point, they, they didn't get all the truth of the Word that you and I already know. Uh, and They didn't have the Word of God in its completion. Uh, and, of course, uh, they knew the things that Jesus had already done. Um, and, and what he's saying about this is it's not that we weren't with Jesus. It's not that we didn't see what he did. We, we understand all that. It's not that you know, we, we weren't really remembering or understanding what he told us 
about this resurrection. But probably what John is saying mostly here when he says, for as yet they did not understand the Scripture. Well, keep in mind, there is no Scripture for them yet as far as New Testament. What, what he's likely talking about is there's tons of prophecy in the Old Testament that keep telling us that Messiah is going to rise from the dead, that kept telling them everything about who Jesus was. And what John is saying up to this point, even though we had Scripture that prophesied about this, we didn't understand that he must, he, he, must be, he must rise from the dead. We didn't understand it. Not at that time. So keep in mind, because sometimes you read this, I know I have, and it's like, well, John's saying that all this hadn't been written about what they, what they saw and heard. Well, that can't be it, because he saw and heard it. You know, He's writing the New Testament, so he can't have the New Testament because it's not written yet. But he did have the Old Testament. He did have Scripture. And he says, we didn't understand that all the prophecy about Messiah was telling us that he must, he must, he must be raised from the dead. We, we didn't know that. So that's why it, we're still processing because we didn't know. But, but here's the point. John is saying that what he saw and there was enough for him to believe that Jesus uh, uh, had resurrected. So and then verse 10, pretty straightforward. Uh, then the disciples went back to their homes. That, and you know what that verse means? what it says. <laughs> they went back to their homes. So find this. See, this shows you all alone. So the disciples go back to their home, but Mary, apparently, we're going to find out, goes back to the tomb. You know, she saw the tomb. She went and told the disciples. They went. They just saw it. Peter can't believe what he's seeing. He's trying to process it all. John says, I believe. But in both cases, they went back to their homes. They didn't run out and start telling everybody that Jesus, said, he, he is risen. They didn't do that because, as John said, we, 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 we don't fully comprehend all this. So when they go back into their homes to kind of hash all this out, and, of course, they're still afraid, as we'll find out in a minute, because if they kill Jesus, they might be looking for his followers to kill them too. And, and they're in fear about this, and we'll see this kind of lay out here in a minute. But at this point, Mary decides she's going back to the tomb or she, you know, because she may have drifted up there behind them and after they saw what they saw, and they headed back home, and then she moved to the front. We don't know that timetable, but the bottom line is she's back there again. Uh, look, look at verse 11 and 12. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. Now, I know there's some debate about if you go to Israel, are either one of the tombs the one that Jesus was laid in or are neither one of the tombs the tomb that Jesus laid in. I don't know the answer to that. I've seen commentary. When I went to Israel, uh, I went to the garden tomb, uh, and, and there's another one, obviously, that, uh, uh, that they've built a church over, and I forget what that one's called I'm off the top of my head. But anyway, I didn't go to that one. I went to the garden tomb. And the garden tomb, they don't, they don't come down and say that we know this is the tomb that Jesus was laid in. But they say one thing that makes the tomb at the garden in Israel called the garden tomb, which makes it unique, is what Mary is seeing here. We don't have the details that Mark tells us. And Mark, uh, Mark says that uh, when, when, when the angel, when, when they, when they when, not the angel, when they went in to look, to see where Jesus' body was laying, that they went in and they looked to the right. Well, in the garden tomb, uh, you go into it, you, you stoop your head, just like we heard, 
And then a lot of tombs, especially people of wealth, the bodies would be further back in there. They would be almost like a little hall that would open up to the different places they would lay their family members. And they said the garden tomb, which makes it unique, is it actually has the setup exactly as Peter describes to Mark in the Gospel of Mark, that you go in and you look to the right, and that's where the body would have been. And there is no body there in the garden tomb. Uh, don't know if that's really the tomb. I, I don't know that, but it, it makes it unique. But Mary is going through the same thing. She also is, is, is stooping down, John tells us that, to look into the tomb, and she sees two angels. Now, we, don't, we assume because of what is said in Mark, she looked to the right where Jesus' body was supposed to be, and, and two angels, one sitting where the foot should be, one sitting at uh, where the head should be. Um, and um, we think this is probably the first time that Mary looked into the tomb because before, you know, she saw the stone rolled away and then she went back. And, and now John's going to document from talking to her that the angels were dressed in white. Now, if you go to Mark 16.5, make a note, Mark 16.5, Mark is talking to Peter, and Peter describes, I guess, what he heard from Mary too, that uh, a young man dressed in white. Luke, uh, in Luke 24, verse 4, 24, verse 4, refers to these angels as two men dressed in clothes that gleamed like lightning. And then Matthew 28, verses 2 through 3, 28, 2 through 3, says the angel had an appearance of lightning and wearing garments as white as snow rolled back the stone. Okay, so, so you put all that together, we've got this running theme that the clothing is, is bright, it's lightning, and it's gleaming, and it's white. We know that Mary is telling John there were two there. The other Gospels don't, don't specify two. They only talk about maybe one of them. And then Matthew goes as far as to say, I, this is who rode the stone away. Uh, so you kind of get the full picture again if you look at, uh, at all of four of the Gospels. And so now let's look at what the angels actually say here. In verse 13, because this is beautiful. They said to her, woman, and we all know this from when Jesus referred to his mother as woman. This is not a derogatory statement. Woman, it's an endearing state, uh, statement actually. Why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. Now, understand what the angels are saying here is a little more than just an endearing, you know, hey, are you okay? There's a gentle reproof here from the angels. Understand everything that's happening, and we need to understand this now. You know, I don't know how many times something has happened in my life, and I'm like, oh, this is exactly what the Bible said would happen if this happened. Oh, this is exactly what, you know, just like when people start this thing I talk about all the time, about we go through pain and suffering, kind of like some of you are now in, in this pandemic, and it's as if there's no verses that have ever been written uh, about this type of stuff, when there's actually been a lot written about this. As, as my wife loves to say, uh, when people ask me, I'm acting like I'm her, people ask me, where is God in the middle of all this pain and suffering? I mean, I mean where is God in all this pain and suffering? And my wife says, right in the middle of it. He's right in the middle of it. So these angels are saying to Mary, not like they don't know. They're literally asking, why would you be crying right now? Why are you not celebrating? And, and you see, you'll see this thing lay out and confirm this. The angels are saying, 
why would you be crying? Why? You see that he's resurrected, but there's no joy, there's weeping. Why is that? And it's a gentle reproof from the angels, which uh, we don't need to miss that point. Uh, so looking at John 14, 15. So now, uh, I'm sorry, John 20, 14, 15. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus, but she did not know that it was Jesus. All right, so, so Mary senses there's someone else around the tomb, and, and she wants uh, information, uh, as we've seen in the other accounts. Jesus is not recognized at first. Uh, we, we, we don't know why this is. Uh, this gets into Jesus' resurrected body. Uh, some commentary says maybe she, we know she was weeping. Maybe her eyes are just blurry, but we know on the road to Emmaus, uh, we know that he's in his resurrected body. Uh, my wife makes fun of me because I put things in Calhoun County terms, as some of you, I hope, like, and some of you may not. But uh, I said I always find it interesting that Jesus on the road to Emmaus really starts a conversation with these two men about, hey, anything, what's been going on? What's all the hype about? Uh, you know, and, and then they look at him like, have you not heard what happened? I mean, we got this guy, he got crucified, and now people saying he's resurrected. So we do know this. Now, keep in mind, we don't need to, sometimes we don't need to read too much in this. It may be these people on the road to Emmaus had no idea what Jesus looked like. Maybe they'd never been to any of his events. Maybe they'd never seen him preach. So, you know, it's not like now where there would be billboards of Jesus everywhere, come hear this guy speak, uh, and his pictures all over social media. It could be they just never seen him before, but we do know they didn't know who he was, and at one point he revealed who he was, so we know that. Some other things that we know about the resurrected body, sometimes it can be touched and handled. Uh, it can bear the marks of the pre-resurrection, as we'll get here in a minute with Thomas. Uh, we know that in the resurrected body that Jesus can cook fish. We know that he actually eats the fish. Uh, we know that the resurrected body was able to push through the grave clothes and leave them just as they were without tearing them up or it just moved through it. We know that. Um, we know it can appear in a locked room, which we're going to have here in a minute, and walk, walk right through a locked door or a wall. And, uh, and, it, and apparently, at times, it isn't recognized. All of these things have been documented about the resurrected body. That, these are things we know in Scripture. So here, here's this beautiful part. Same question the angels asked, which I thought was very, very interesting uh, in verse 15. Whom are you seeking? Look at this. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Now, now see, when he says, Whom are you seeking? This is very, very important for us to get today. This is an attempt for her to recall the things she had seen and should know. Let, let, let that sit, because th this may be one of the big takeaways today, okay? Woman, why are you weeping? Angels were asking the same thing. Gentle reproof. Whom are you seeking? And, and I think we need to remember that. We, we need to remember that right now. In, in the middle of this. And you know what Jesus is saying to her? Give me the resume of this Jesus that you're seeking. Is it really surprising to you that his body is gone? Is it really surprising to you that it looks like that he just rose from the dead? Do you remember all the things you saw him do? Don't forget who you are seeking. 
See, all my life I'd kind of looked at this up until, you know, recently in the last few years of my walk when I was learning. This is not some, hey, who are you looking for? Can I help you? That's not how this is interpreted. The interpretation is remember who you're seeking. Think now for a minute. Think about it. Think about who you're looking for. Think about the things he said he, he would do. Think about the things you saw him do. If nothing else, do you remember Lazarus? Do you remember him taking Lazarus and raising Lazarus from the dead? Do you remember that? That's who you're seeking. Could it be that he could also raise himself from the dead? Don't forget the things that God has done. Don't forget the things that God says about himself. Don't forget the things that you've seen and heard and know about whom you are seeking. Man, we need that. Sometimes we act like we forget, don't we? Can you imagine how annoying that must be for God? He comes through again and again and again and again, and then we get in a situation and we freak out again. And you know what he says to us? Whom are you seeking? Who do you serve? Who do you claim to belong to? And then we could give all, all these hymns and everything. You know what we need to do? You know what, you, know, you know what we need to understand from God? We sing all these wonderful things about him, and we claim we believe all these things about him. You know what he says? Then act like it. I've said this in, in my own life so many times. We'll claim that God is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, and then live our lives like he has no idea what we're doing. <laughs> Whom are you seeking? So she misses it, and she thinks it's the gardener. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I'll take him away. Just, hey, let me know, since you're the gardener here, I think, is this something you're doing? Are you tidying up the tombs, and did... You get some people to help you roll the stone away. Have you moved my Lord? Because if you've moved him, I need to go get him, and I need to get him back in his proper place, and we need to kind of take care of his body. And then the game changer in 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. That's it. Just, just that personal moment. We don't know why she can't recognize him, okay? But when he says her name, Mary, she knows who it is. See, see that, 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 that's a different deal, isn't it? When you are trying to remember things you know about God, and then you encounter God. Those are two different experiences. I know a lot about God. I have a lot of head knowledge about God. And you know what that leads to? Are you God? Are you God? Are you a gardener? Are you this? Are you that? But when you experience God, well, you know exactly who he is. And he says, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Single word, Mary. Said it the way he'd always said it. And it was enough to remove her spiritual blindness. And she says, teacher. Teacher. She doesn't say Lord. She says, teacher. 
but she's working her way there. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father and your Father, to my God and your God. All right, so this one, you can go pages and pages and pages and pages of commentary on this one. But can I, this is, this is a good moment for the C student at Calhoun County. I think from the, the, the best commentaries that I read on this, I believe that we are, and I have been guilty of, I shouldn't say you, I have been guilty of overthinking this. What does, you, what does he mean? Don't cling to me. Was this got something to do with this resurrected body and all the different things we just talked about? What do you mean? Don't touch him? And then a little while, everybody's touching him? You know, Thomas is touch, can touch him? So we're overthinking it. The best explanation on this is he's simply saying, you thought I was gone. At one time, you thought I was dead. Then you didn't know what happened to my body. Then you thought I was the gardener. Then I uttered your name, and you knew it was me. There's no need to cling to me. I'm not going to disappear in like the next second. Hold up a minute. There's no need to cling to me. I have not ascended to my father yet. But let my brothers know that I'm going to ascend to my father. But I'm not, not there's no, don't panic. Don't, don't, don't grab hold of me, afraid to let me go, thinking I'm going to disappear again. Now, he doesn't go to say, but we know they're going to get 40 more days with him of his teaching. And that's what he's explaining to her. Let my brothers know I am going to be ascending to the Father, but I haven't yet. So there's no need to cling to me. As, as it likely has nothing to do with the state of his body. It simply has to do with the fact he's not going anywhere right now. In 40 days, I'm going to ascend to the Father, but I'm not ascending right now. Don't grab me like I'm going up in the air and you're going to lose me. You got time. That's what this is about. And I got to tell you, that was just eye-opening for me studying that this week. And I think that's absolutely what he's saying because we do know that in, in a minute he invites people to touch him and touch his body. So it can't be that you can't touch it. Uh, he's simply saying, I'm not leaving here in the next few seconds. You got some time. Let the brothers know. Here's what you need to do. Let them know I'm here. Let them know I'm ascending to the Father. And, and we got some teaching to do before I do. That's it. Now in 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he has said the things to her that he told her to do. So what she did, uh, she did exactly what she was told to do. She goes and tells the disciples exactly what he said to do. Look at 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, write that down, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. So John says, I tell you why we locked the door. We're afraid of the Jews. We think they may come get us. Uh, being a follower of Jesus is not very popular right now. We may be in trouble. So we're fearful. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. So we do know that the door's locked. Uh, we, we do not, uh, we, we think the ten are in there. We don't think, we know Judas isn't in there because he's, he's gone. Uh, but we don't think Thomas is there either. Uh, so we think there's ten of them there. They're locked in there, fearing the Jewish leaders. John specifies um, this being locked because he wants us to know Jesus standing among them was miraculous. John said, Hey, the door wasn't open. And we looked up and Jesus was among us. He just came in. And then he says, Shalom, peace be with you. This is, this is a, a Jewish greeting. Uh, the peace of the Lord be with you. Uh, and there he is, standing there. 
uh, verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So back to this thing about the resurrected body. Apparently, uh, it can go through locked doors. We know that. And apparently, it can even show itself to look the way it looked when he was crucified. Because he's trying to say, it's not, you know, here's who I am. Let me show you my hands. Let me show you the side John told you about. Look here. So apparently there was there were some physical things they could still see on this body that said to them, This is the Lord. This this is him. He, here he is. He he has he has walked out of the tomb. He is resurrected. Verse 21. Um Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Okay, let's unpack that a minute. Jesus will now send the disciples out uh, as, as in, in, in complete obedience. And what he's going to do now, he's saying, all right, so the Father sent me. I did what I was supposed to do. I've gone to the cross. I paid the price for sin. It is finished. I've gone in the tomb. Now I have, as I said, I said I was going to lay down my body, and I had the authority to take it up again. I've done so. Now what's going to happen for the next 40 days is I'm going to prepare you for you to be sent just as the Father sent me in complete obedience, and I'm going to prepare you to do so. And coming up here, and we're about to really get deep, I'm also going to give you the power to accomplish this obedience. Well, we've been talking about that a lot, right? They're not replacing Jesus. Nobody can, okay? Just, just don't think that. It's not like... Jesus is out. Give me, give me a new picture. We're not equal to Jesus. They weren't equal to Jesus, so they're not replacing Jesus. But what they're doing is they're going to produce obedience because they are connected to Jesus. Hello, John 15. I am the true vine. You know what he's saying? Because I've accomplished everything I'm supposed to accomplish, I am now in, in, in a perfect setup that I will teach you what to do as I send you out, and because of me, you'll have the power to do what I'm sending you out to do. If you love me, you will obey me. I am the true vine, abide in me, and I produce fruitfulness. Remember these themes through John 14, John 15? Here they are. And Jesus says, I'm going to tell you what to do, and I'm going to empower you to do so. And can I tell you something? Uh, you know, brother or sister or who's watching this right now, we have, we have access to the exact same power. And if you are not, you don't see it in your life. It's not because Jesus is unable to provide it. Remember how many times we said this? If you're not seeing the obedience and you're not seeing the fruitfulness in your life, it is not because of an inability for Jesus to provide it. You're not connected to the vine, period. I'm not talking about stumbles where we make mistakes. I'm talking about you're living a life that just doesn't seem to have the power of Jesus. I'm not obedient to what he said to do. I don't seem to be doing what he said to do. I'm not following his teachings. I don't see those in, hey, Rick, that's not legalism. That's not legal. That's not a code of conduct. That's just Jesus. He does produce, produce fruitfulness. He does produce obedience. And I'm not letting anybody else act like that those things can't be said because they're said in the Bible. So do you see that in your life? He said, I'm going to give you the power to do it, and here it comes. So, 22, now this gets a lot of play. 22, this is the Gospel of John, remember. And when he had said this, he breathed out on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
received the Holy Spirit. A lot of commentary on this one. Can you imagine what my week's been like on this one? So let's, let's not be afraid of it. So there, there's a lot of commentary. Well, wait a minute. If, if, if he's giving them the Holy Spirit now, he just said he was going to prepare them to do what they were supposed to do. Uh, just as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And then you would think, okay, well, then he's now going to tell them what to do, but he's also going to empower them to do it. But I thought that happens in Acts chapter 2. Well, it does. Uh, but but what's happening here, it could just be the simple, not, not even complicated at all. All John's doing is saying this event took place where we received the Holy Spirit, and I've just chosen to tell you about it here. When you get over here and Luke's talking about how it happened, he's going to give you more details about everything shaking and rattling and all that. This is the same event. I'm just telling you what, that, that I was there and it happened. These may be exactly the same event. I mean, and that's probably the most likely of, uh, of all the different things that are there. Most people think this is just John's account of Pentecost. And all he is is making the note in his historical uh, recounting of it is he breathed the Holy Spirit on us. He's letting us know, uh, you know, that we did receive the Holy Spirit from Jesus uh, and, we, and, and we got it like it was a spiritual cleansing. And then when he gave it to us, it was a game changer. All that's accurate. So it could be these, this is just the same event, just two different accounts of it, uh, uh, the stuff that Luke found out, and, and John's just simply stating it. And that's likely what's going on here. It's not a, I know some people played some games with it, like you get, get the Holy Spirit breathed on you one time, and then you get it breathed on you again, and eventually if he breathes it on you enough, you eventually have it. Now, we certainly are being sanctified, and we certainly are being matured, but it's more likely that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples and on the church age, in this one instance, it's just two different accounts of the same event. That's most likely what happened. So now let's look at 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are, for, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Oh, boy, now we're, here we go with more stuff. What, what is Jesus talking about here? Well, the best way to explain this is that Jesus just said, as the Father sent me, I'm going to be sending you. I'm going to give you the instructions, and I'm going to give you the power. The Holy Spirit has been breathed on you, as, as you know. We talked about this in the church age, you know, before you know the Father was talked about through the prophets. Now the Father has been talked has been has spoken through me. He spoke through the prophets. He speaks through me. We're talking about the Son, I'm returning to my glory. I'm returning to my proper place where I was before the foundation of the world. I now am taking the third part of the Triune God, the Holy Spirit. I'm giving you our presence, maximizing our presence to you. You now have the full Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You got it all, and here it is in its fullness. You now carry that out. So now when you go out and preach, the people who respond to your preaching will be forgiven, and the people who reject your preaching won't. There it is. When you go out and you present the gospel, you go out and you tell the truth, and because you have now been given, I'm sending you now, you now represent the gospel. You, rep you are the church age. And those who hear what you have to say and they repent, they'll be forgiven. Those that hear what you have to say from me, from Jesus, from God, from the Holy Spirit, those who hear it and reject it, they won't be forgiven. They don't repent, they're not forgiven. And we've given you the authority to go out and preach that. And that continues today. So... A lot of times, remember, some of us are so afraid 
of presenting the gospel because we're so, gospel because we're so afraid of rejection. Well, remember what Jesus said. They're not rejecting you. They're not rejecting me. They're rejecting him. And he says, if they reject repentance, they won't be forgiven. If they accept repentance, then they'll be forgiven. And I'll use you, use you as the instrument to give them that shot. We move on. Here comes Thomas. Look at 24. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin. His, his name just meant twin, and we think that he, he has a twin. But we, we, we're thinking his, that his twin may actually be, if you really get deep on this, the other Judas that is not Judas Iscariot, obviously, but the other Judas that's part of the 12. Uh, but anyway, Thomas was not with them when Jesus came. Uh, so the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands in the mark of the nails and, the place, and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, if you look at it, if you kind of know how guys are, so Thomas gets there, Hey, you missed it. Hey, you missed it. The Lord has risen from the dead. He's been in here, okay? We've been talking to him, and we, and, and we saw the, the marks on his hands. We saw the, the hole in his side. It was him. It was him. It was him. See, Thomas gets this information about what Jesus was showing them from them. He didn't just come off the top of his head and say, I'll tell you what, I want to see the, the nail holes, and I want to see that, that piercing side, and I'm going to put my finger, in, and then I'm going to put my hand in the other. Then I'll believe. They've told him that Jesus showed him these things, and he, he said, I'll tell you one thing, if I see it, I'll believe it. Uh, he says, but um, unless I can do that, I'll never believe that. Y'all must be drinking. I don't know where y'all come up with this. There's no way this happened. So he goes, he goes a full eight days thinking this, according to verse 26. Verse 26 says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Here it is again. Okay, so once again, uh, we're on another Sunday. We got the doors locked again. Jesus comes in. He says the same thing again. Peace uh, be with you. And then look at this. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. This is verse 27. And see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Uh, do not disbelieve, but believe. This is what you wanted. Here it is. I'll take that challenge. He's acknowledging, uh, though, that, uh, that, that seeing the challenge was enough. And, uh, and Jesus says, is this what you need to believe? Here it is. Here's what you said you needed. This is what you said you want me to do. You've seen it. Now what are you going to do? See, he's teaching us. See, when Jesus, when, when, when the gospel is preached, it demands a response. I, I don't know why we've gotten so afraid of a response. It demands a response. Jesus himself said, here I am. I'm back. I'm resurrected. Everything you said you needed to see, you've seen. Now believe. Stop, stop disbelieving. Believe. And apparently, Thomas lived up to his word. He answered him, my Lord, my God, it is you. Now this is not, some people have acted like that he's using the Lord's name inappropriately. Like people say, oh, my Lord, or whatever. It's not that. He is saying, my Lord, my God, it is you. You're the Lord, you are God, I see it, I believe. There's no indication he even had to touch him, but he may have just believed on sight. Because uh, you don't see that, that either John didn't tell us, he may have, but the bottom line is he believed when he saw what he said he wanted to see. And then Jesus says something really, really incredible in verse 29. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? 
Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus is now speaking ahead to us. He's speaking to a time when he will not provide that type of tangible evidence. See, it was afforded to the disciples and to Thomas, and, and uh, he's going to ascend to the Father. See, we're, we're after he's already ascended to the Father, and he's gone to the Father permanently until he returns for his church, and those who believe will do so without the benefit of having seen the resurrected Lord. 1 Peter 1, uh, 8-9 through 9, Think about this, but, but remember the immediate response prompts Jesus to look ahead to us. Jesus is putting a future blessing in play. Now, First Peter talks about this. It's really cool uh, because Jesus looked ahead to those of us that are going to have to you know, be told about these things and believe. Listen to what uh, Peter says in First Peter 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith and the salvation of your souls. That's what Jesus is talking about. And Peter remembered that. And he's talking to these people now after Jesus has already ascended. And he said, this is the future blessing that Jesus was talking about on all of you who never got a chance to see him tangibly the way we have. You didn't get a chance to see the wounds and to see him after the resurrection. He didn't walk in through the walls and say, peace be with you, but you still believed uh, because of our accounts and because of the Holy Spirit prompting your heart to respond and say, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he went to the cross and that he died, even though I wasn't there to see it. I believe your accounts. I believe that he went into the tomb and I believe he really was dead because I believe those accounts and I believe that he resurrected just as he said he would because I believe these accounts. And I believe that he poured out the Holy Spirit on all who will repent and, and submit to his authority because I've sensed it, I've felt it. Even though you've returned to your glory, Jesus, where you belong, and I know you're coming back or when I die I'm going to be in your presence, I absolutely believe in you and I trust and I obey you. I don't just believe this, these historical accounts. I believe you are who you say you are. And I repent of my sin, and I say, please forgive me, because I believe you can. I believe you did pay for my sins. I didn't have to see you. I still believe you. So Jesus talks about this. And then, verse 30, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Uh, that's, uh, that's John stating the obvious. A lot of other stuff happened. Now he's going to tell us again at the, the complete end of the, of the Gospel of John. There were a lot, but what he's saying here is there were a lot of the miracles, but this is what you love about it. You know what he's really saying? But I gave you the biggie, the resurrection. A lot of the signs and wonders, but they were nothing like the resurrection. That's the biggie, and I, be, I made sure you knew that one because that's what our faith is based on. Verse 31 but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John said, I wrote it this way, and I'll tell you why I wrote it the way I wrote it. I wrote it so you'll believe. So do you believe? 
We've got one more chapter of the Gospel of John. Remember we first started this way back in August, 32 weeks ago. You remember what we said the Gospel of John really was about? Here's Jesus. What has been your response? Have these accounts helped you to believe? When we come back next week, we'll finish the Gospel of John, and it'll be the final things that Jesus taught the disciples before he ascended to the Father. And then we will have walked 33 weeks through the Gospel of John, being introduced to Jesus the entire way. And what is your response? Do you believe? Are you ready to say, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. And right now, I want to repent of my sins. I don't see your power in my life. Right now, I want to, I want to submit to your authority. Just, just say, Lord, I repent. I repent of my sins. I turn to 180, and I turn to you. I believe you did pay for my sins. I believe that you will forgive me. And I want to submit to your authority because I've learned a lot about you throughout the Gospel of John, but I don't really know you. I need you to really say my name. I need to hear my name. I need to hear you speak to me. And he will. And just submit to his authority and let him change you. Because he can. If I can help you, reach out to me, rick at rickandbubba.com. I look forward to wrapping up the Gospel of John next week. Thank you for being with us. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at BurgessMinistries.com.